Hello and welcome to The Silver King's War. I'm Michael Sievers, the writer, producer, and creator of this podcast series about my father's Second World War as a B-26 bombardier. Today we conclude The Silver King's War. It's December 17th, 2023. We have reached the conclusion of this multi-year saga of one man's Second World War and the peace that followed in the 1950s. The Silver King's War podcast series began in late January of 2021. Over 34 months, which tracked the approximate length of Stanley's Air Corps service, we followed our hero from his training to the European War and through his post-war transition to civilian life. And then over four months, from September to December of 2023, and to conclude the podcast series, the Silverfields of Northbrook followed the King's family from 1955 to 1960 in the northern suburbs of Chicago. Then, in October 1960, the Silverfields moved to Rockford, Illinois, and became the Seavers. Followers of the Silver King, our hero, asked throughout the series a simple question. What happened to Stanley after his war? The Silverfields of Northbrook, the trilogy of plays that I wrote, answer that question. The Rockford years changed our family forever, and it wasn't just the name change. It was a family dropped into a foreign world that wreaked havoc throughout the decades. And now for the family. As you know from following our hero, Stanley will marry Shirley June Gordon in Chicago on June 19, 1946. And then it's kids, me in 1948 and my sister Cindy in 1951. Our nuclear family rode a new Plymouth coupe to Northbrook in 1955. Throughout the podcast series, as friends and fans have inquired about the King's fate, I built an answer to those queries. It is the Silverfields of Northbrook. And that answer, as is true of every life, is complicated. Stanley, 22 and a veteran of the United States Army Air Corps, met and married Shirley June Gordon in 1946. And then for most of a decade, he worked for Acme Paper Box Manufacturing as a production engineer. The job protected him from being recalled to active duty during the Korean War. The Korean War ended in July 1953, and Stanley, with relief from a looming Asian war, reaches the end of his ability to tolerate a difficult and emotional brother-in-law, a man named Lee Bernstein. He quits Acme and begins selling Yellow Page ads for R.R. Donnelly in Chicago. And then the family moves to Northbrook in 1955, and Stanley begins selling wholesale beauty supplies for his uncles, Abe and Joe Bailey, who owned Bailey's Beauty Supplies in Chicago. The Silverfields of Northbrook followed Stanley and his family from his soldier-to-civilian transition for five years, from 1955 to 1960, and their idyllic suburban adventures. 
These were the best years of their lives together. And now, the last answer. How the family ends. Stanley, the Silver King, died 45 years to the day after his separation from the Army Air Corps at Fort McPherson in Georgia. He was 67 and lived his final years in a residential care facility in Rockford. Shirley, Stanley's wife, lived 28 years longer than the Silver King. She died in 2018 at 95 and lived most of those years in their split-level home on Dorset Drive in Rockford, Illinois. And Shirley became a very successful and highly decorated geriatric care consultant over two decades in Rockford. In the fall of 2005, Shirley won a prestigious award for community service. This is what the Rockford Network News wrote about Shirley. The Rockford Network Awards Committee is very pleased to announce that our nominee, member Shirley G. Sievers, received the Swedish American Health Systems 2005 Betty Jane Henry Award for Community Service. This prestigious award honors the memory of Mrs. Henry, an active Rockford volunteer for nearly 30 years and the wife of former Swedes president and CEO, Dr. Robert Henry. The award was presented to Shirley G. at Swede's annual Putting on the Glitz fashion show and luncheon on November 11th. Now, anyone who knows Shirley G. knows what an accomplished businesswoman and all-around classy lady she is, but you may not know the extent of her commitment to volunteer efforts that make Rockford a better place to live. The network news continued. The nomination of Shirley G. Sievers. Shirley G. Sievers is devoted to making Rockford a better place to live for seniors and their families. At a stage of life when most are enjoying retirement, Shirley G. is self-employed as a highly respected geriatric consultant. But it is her community service above her career that, in our opinion, qualifies her for this honor. Eight years ago, while working in a West Side nursing home, Shirley G. noticed a lack of community and communications between health care administrators, nurses, social workers, and all local professionals who provide services to seniors and their families. She believed they could more effectively serve seniors by working together and decided to do something about it. So she envisioned and enacted ADMIT the Admission and Discharge Planners Marketing Ideas Together group. A volunteer board was formed with Shirley G. as chairperson, and the group began monthly meetings. The meetings continue today, and sometimes with as many as 50 professionals in attendance and annual workshops that attract crowds over 100 Shirley G. is especially passionate about helping seniors who suffer from Alzheimer's and dementia. And so she became instrumentally involved in volunteer efforts to help Annam Care in Rockford, a privately owned long-term and respite care facility for seniors with dementia. From day one, Shirley G. worked alongside a core group of professionals 
for three years to make their vision a reality. And Shirley G. also volunteered for 10 years on the board of Lifescape Community Services when it was previously known as the Winnebago Council on Aging and Quarterstone. Examples of Shirley G.'s commitment to community service include six years on the board of directors of Women's Space, volunteering for the YWCA of Rockford, and charitable efforts through the Rockford branch of Salvation Army. Currently, she sits on the board of Cora Marie Center, the advisory board of Women's Space, the board of Admit, and the VNA Money Management Advisory Board. Shirley G. is an inspiration to individuals of all ages, taking the risk to pursue her dream and leave a comfortable 14-year career in long-term care to start her own business, a major life change at any age, let alone when most of us are enjoying retirement. All of this is reason enough to admire her. Today, she is known as the professional daughter and lives up to that title by caring for her senior clients as if they were her own family. Shirley G. Seaver's dedication, kindness, and spirit contribute to making Rockford a better place. Cindy Seaver, Stanley and Shirley's daughter and my sister, died in 1986 at 35. She lived in the Milwaukee, Wisconsin suburbs, married and divorced, and co-owned a gift store, the Giraffe. Her sons, Andrew and Daniel Post, live in Arizona and Georgia, respectively, with their families. And today, Cindy's Garden welcomes visitors to Women's Space, a pioneering resource center for women and families in Rockford, Illinois. And that leaves me, Michael. I'm 75 and live in Portland, Oregon with my remarkable and lovely wife, Kelly. We married in Baltimore's Sherwood Gardens in May 1978. Kelly and I moved to Portland in February of 1981. Over the decades that followed, we've made an exciting and adventurous life together and pursued our ideas and the love that we have for words, writing, and language. To conclude the Silverfields of Northbrook and the Silver King's War, I thought it quite appropriate to read a letter that Shirley Seavers wrote to her grandson, Andrew Post, almost 30 years ago, in July of 1994. And she begins, Again, congratulations on your graduation. I can imagine how exciting these past few weeks have been for all concerned. Andy, this is a special gift for you a gift of love, a family history of Grandma and Grandpa and Michael and Cindy and their extended families. The video tells a wonderful story of a very devoted, happy, and caring family. When I found the six canisters of movies Grandpa had dated each canister, I was delighted. What a great way to share family history with my grandchildren and their families. Thus the idea of your graduation gift was conceived. I wanted this video to be upbeat and exciting. The music tells its own stories. Grandma and Grandpa were Sinatra fans, and your mom loved the Beatles. Uncle Michael was into rock and roll. 
I'd like to share a menu of who is in this video and the sequence as they appear. And Shirley begins. Number one, Grandma and Grandpa Seavers. Two, Michael and Cindy Seavers. Three, Peggy Zolo, who is Cindy's cousin and best friend, and they lived next door to us on Aldine. Nancy and Scott Fleischman were also cousins and Aldine neighbors. Grandpa and Grandma Gordon, my parents, Aunt Jane and Uncle Norman Gordon, Aunt Phyllis Gordon, Joan, Judy, and Jill Gordon, Grandma and Grandpa Silverfield, Grandpa's parents, Aunt Leona and Uncle Lee Bernstein. Leona is Grandpa's sister. Dick and Margie Bernstein, Leona and Lee's children. The small dog your mother is holding and playing with is the famous Willie. The collie is Lady. She belonged to the Levies, our Northbrook neighbors. Also, the other people and children in various scenes are good friends and their families. The 15 pictures I selected tell more of our story. Pictures are wonderful memories and treasures. Andy, I miss being a part of your life at this time. Good luck in college. Your future is so bright, perhaps sometime soon you can share some of your plans with me. Hopefully this gift will give you more insight into the lives of your mother, grandparents, and Uncle Michael. Also some idea of who your great-grandparents were and your mother's aunts, uncles, cousins, and close friends. I love you very much, Grandma Seavers. Now, three decades later, as we consider Grandma Seaver's letter to her grandson, Andrew Post, it's important to know that Andy had just graduated from high school and that he went on to academic life at the University of Wisconsin in La Crosse and has become a very successful citizen and has a wonderful family. Shirley built the family video from the archive that the Silver King had created when he was making movies of the family adventures over the years. As you may recall, the Silver King was an extraordinarily organized man. His war letters, his organization, his writing home were so remarkable to me. And so in my decade of work to build the Silver King story, I searched his legendary writing for ideas about becoming a professional writer, and I wondered how it was possible that his family, the Silverfields, never imagined their hero could do much more than his loving letters. Ironically, it was my research on the Silver King, reading his incredible and descriptive letters that I now, at 75, understood why I am a writer. It was in the code I got from the king. And now, as we say our final goodbye to our hero, the Silver King, I wanted to share the eulogy that I wrote for Dad at his funeral in the fall of 1990, titled, Dad's Eulogy. I want to begin by thanking everyone for joining us today to say goodbye to Dad, to Stan, 
and to thank everyone for the outpouring of care and support that you've offered Stan and Shirley. Please join us at Stan and Shirley's home after the service to share the memories. And I begin. It isn't often that sons have the chance to talk about their fathers. And we gather today with a great sense of relief. Dad has found peace. We are here to remember Dad as a husband, father, grandfather, friend, bombardier, businessman, in-law, uncle, athlete, and mentor. A man born in Birmingham, schooled at Illinois, transformed by World War II. All these images evoking so many memories. I was fortunate enough to have three mentors, High Krauss, Bob Levine, and Dad. We had great conversations, and I learned lessons as well from the things that he didn't say. He was smart. He knew things. He knew issues. He knew politics. And Dad knew the value of silence. Conversations, you may ask? Dad was born to a family of talkers, and Dad married into a family of talkers. The poor guy, he never had a chance. Dad wasn't a talker, but he was a conversationalist. He was an advisor who let me pursue my own passions, and he knew that it was a good idea to make my own mistakes, learn lessons, and celebrate my own triumphs. Our family moved to Rockford 30 years ago in October 1960. But we began our lives in Chicago and moved to Northbrook in 1955. But it was on Greg Road that we had a sense of place. They were our best years as a family. We belonged on Greg Road with the Krauses, Levies, Scanlons, and others. And you may not know that Stan was a gifted athlete. I remember the games we played in the Levy's backyard as we gathered men and boys. I remember his leanness, his fluid moves, flowing down the field with the grace of a gazelle. I remember that Stan always had projects with Cal Levy. They were building fences, plowing driveways. And I remember how they would sit on the Levy's porch, how they would smoke and drink and talk about how evil we were as kids. In 1960, Stan and Shirley packed us into our two Chevrolets, pointed us toward the Northwest, and delivered us to Rockford. He was 37, younger than I am today, and with greater responsibilities. We were never the same family again. We never recaptured that sense of belonging, that sense of community, and that sense of place. But we had other successes. Stan worked hard and made a good living with Shirley's help. He helped me with my Latin and algebra, and always a full tank of gas on date nights. Our family had three lives. Chicago and Northbrook, Rockford in the 1960s and 70s, and Rockford in the 1980s, which was a difficult decade for us. If you didn't know Dad before 1980, you missed knowing the full measure of the man. Dad developed juvenile diabetes in the late 1960s. The diabetes and smoking, the one habit he couldn't kick, took their toll. And 1980 was the turning point for Dad. It was the decade that ravaged him. It destroyed Dad. 
Seeing Dad the day of Cindy's funeral in December 1986, sitting on the sofa in her home, I knew that he wasn't going to make it back from the devastation of losing her. He tried, but the task was just too great, too damn great. Since Dad had his surgery in 1988, I've been writing to him. When he first entered River Bluff, I called him regularly, and our conversations always ended in tears. His were from a mind locked into a body that could no longer respond, and mine were from the helplessness I felt, and the hollow ring to the words stuck deep in my throat. It's okay, Dad. It's okay. We both knew that I was lying. He was smart to the very end. When we could no longer converse, I began to write him specifically about family events, reliving times and places. I would like to share the last note that I wrote to Dad with you. Dated September of 1990. Dear Dad, how are you? I've been thinking about you so much lately, wondering what's new with you. Cheryl keeps me posted on your current event schedule. I've been watching the Bears on TV in this early part of the 1990 season. Now that they are playing on real grass again, I'm reminded more than ever of those games we shared at Wrigley Field when we were younger men. Do you remember those infrequent visits to see the Bears when the Gordons or Baileys had extra tickets? I'm sure you do. My memories of all that are quite vivid. I remember sitting in the upper deck with the Gordons and watching the fans gather outside on the street as the Bears approached for a score. Do you remember those crazy scrambles for the ball before the nets went up as people battled to catch the point-afters or field goals? And do you remember when Ditka would catch those TD passes and crash into the band as its members sat helpless in the corner of the end zone? Those were great times. And how about the temporary stands where the Baileys sat and where Abe and his factotums would divvy up the corned beef sandwiches and booze? What a crazy group. Well, I love the Bears as much as ever, and I love you more, Dad. Michael. I said goodbye to Dad this spring as I visited with him at River Bluff. Our conversations were sparse, but I wanted him to know that it was okay that he could stop fighting it, that our business was complete, that it was time to let go. But Dad never quit. When I visited with him in the spring, I held him and could still feel the leanness in those arms. Dad was strong to the end, but he just needed relief to rest, to find that sense of place, of peace, that had eluded him for so very long. How will we remember, Dad? Perhaps it will be a visit to Greg Road, or perhaps you'll have a conversation with Shirley, or perhaps you'll be comforted by the knowledge that Dan and Andy will grow to be fine men like their grandpa, or perhaps it will be the fact that I'll be pursuing my passions for another 40 years or so, standing strong for the convictions he gave me and being conversant in every damn one. Dad was a good man, a gentleman, a disciplined and smart man, and now, finally, a peaceful man.
I love you, Dad. That was my personal homage to our hero, the Silver King, on October 15th, 1990, in Rockford, Illinois. And now, in December of 2023, 33 years after the King's death, I want to thank you for listening to The Silver King's War and hope that the podcast series brought meaning to your lives as you followed our hero through his Second World War and his life after the war. And for the final time, you have been listening to The Silver King's War.